Hello, everybody. Today is Sunday, June 24th. Uh, we're bringing you Block Digest number 108 at uh, block height 529,054. And let me let me refresh my Block Explorer. Okay, yes, that is still the block height. We've gotten like six fucking blocks in the last few minutes. <laughs> Man. Mm -hmm. But uh, got the, the whole crew here today. Uh, got Mr. Rick joining us. Hey, everyone. How's everybody's weekend going? Janine uh, got busted taking a nap because she uh, is not a caffeine addict like the rest of us. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah I'll sleep again. It's uh, got to get on that caffeine. I'm telling you, it's a good drug. It's a, it's a fine drug. <laughs> uh, the more ball busting was brought to you by Acnix. And uh, Nopara is joining us from somewhere. <laughs> hey, guys. And poop. That was Janine's connection dropping out. All righty. Uh, hopefully she comes back soon. But uh, well, let's let's dive into story number one. Uh, hello, Condace. <laughs> again, once again. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, yeah, I've I've felt kind of empty inside w without something to uh, shit all over Coinbase for. But uh, thank you, Mashable, for filling that hole inside my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, a uh, large number of users are submitting complaints to the SEC. And um, yeah, uh, Mashable got their hands on uh, a large number of them through a Freedom of Information uh, Act request. And uh, apparently they've uh, got like 134 pages of complaints <laughs> filed to the SEC through uh, the Department of Business Oversight in California. And uh, yeah, apparently, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of people on uh, social media and Reddit and such kind of offering excuses for Coinbase during the big uh, Boltard run-up during the end of last year, but there are still 134 pages at least worth of, uh, you know, huge issues with people's account balances not dealt with. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just to kind of dive through a couple of these, there's quite a lot um they've they've all pretty much been redacted to keep uh like people's names and personal information out of what mashable received but uh this first one uh pretty much tried to transfer seventeen thousand dollars internally from one coinbase account to another and the coinbase account that they transferred to uh still has not received the funds this person has uh, contacted Coinbase over seven times and pretty much each time just, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get back to you later, uh, you know, a few days. And it's been a month at least uh, by the time of this filing. Uh, I think it was back in, uh, yeah, January 16th, uh, this complaint was filed. And um, I'm assuming uh, that this is still an outstanding issue, but... Uh, yeah, this person has lost uh, $5,000, uh, I'm assuming, in terms of gains because of the, the large price drop since then. And Coinbase is pretty much just uh, dicking them around. <laughs> um, and they even went to the point of confirming with 
the Metropolitan Commercial Bank, uh, Coinbase's uh, fiat side banking, to confirm that they've actually received a wire and Coinbase still has not credited that money to the account. <laughs> uh, to move on to yet another one. Um, somebody claiming to uh, have had the majority of their life savings uh, <laughs> on Coinbase. Uh, has uh, pretty much had their account locked and had Coinbase demanding they go through identity verification processes, which this person claims to have done and still is locked out of their account and is at this point just receiving automated messages demanding that they go through the verification process that they have already gone through. Um, <laughs> yet another person uh, has sent $15,000 to Coinbase from their bank account that they have still not been credited, <laughs> still not receiving any responses from customer support. Um, yeah, uh, slide on down to another one. Um, a person who had 10 Bitcoins, um, which at the time of the complaint uh, towards the end of November, uh, just before it turned to December, was around $100,000. Has had their account frozen with no explanation, is prevented from selling, buying, transferring, or even accessing their internal records to see their balance in transaction history. Um, and following the same pattern. Um, yeah, that's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And in, in this case, um, the, the one with $100,000 worth of Bitcoins uh, pretty much being locked out. Coinbase apparently actually confirmed with this individual that the reason that their account was shut down was an error in their security system. And so they have, in this individual case, completely admitted culpability and responsibility. And yet still, this person is getting nothing but form emails. Uh, we will get back to you um, in attempts to reach out by phone um, is pretty much just getting the we'll get back to you in a few days. And um they still have not actually responded to this person with any kind of meaningful um, adjustment to his issue. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, like Jesus, like the, in this person here, um, there, there's no uh, specific monetary uh, amounts in this person's complaint, but they are pretty much um, asserting that this is being done intentionally in a fraudulent manner. Uh, to pretty much have access to this money that they're closing the person off from uh, to profit off of themselves. Um, here we have another individual who wired $1,000 from their Bank of America account to Coinbase. Um, months later, this is still not gone through or been credited uh, to their Coinbase account, despite them reaching out to Bank of America and receiving confirmation that the wire has been sent. Uh, Let's see. Uh, yeah, there, here's another person who attempted to withdraw just shy of $2,000 to their bank via wire transfer. Um, at the time of their filing complaint in the beginning of this January, um, it is still not gone through. <laughs> um, and they have additional funds sitting on Coinbase right now that they're afraid to attempt to transfer out for fear that those funds will also be locked up and made inaccessible. Um, like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, this is just a gigantic, ridiculous shit show. 
And I mean, you know, I, I don't think this should be any shock to anybody out there who's actually been paying attention to this space it, uh, on social media platforms such as Twitter and Reddit. I mean, it's really been a constant thing for maybe the past year um, in, in terms of a lot of volume of these complaints. But uh, just, you know, setting aside volume, I don't think I can remember a single period of time where there was not, you know, regular complaints about these types of errors or problems with the Coinbase platform. And I mean, <laughs> like, the thing I about just, it though is like, it's kind of changed, right? Like back then they used to actually address it where now it's like, they're taking on all this more different interests as far as lobbying and, you know, uh, their, you know, their index and uh, making sure they're onboarding all these uh, traditional markets and everything like that. I mean, it seems like uh, they've kind of just given up on that whole, you know, that side of the market where it's just like the average person trying to buy Bitcoin and move it around and it's all back in trouble with their stuff. And I don't know, it's just, I don't know, it's just maybe another thing that they're doing to try and make people confuse like the aspects of Bitcoin being the trouble, but it sounds like it's all their stuff. I mean, it's just a giant shit show. And I mean, like I have not anywhere to this type of volume, but I have always seen complaints like this that were not addressed, like people just having their account frozen with no explanation and posting consistently on Reddit for weeks afterwards that Coinbase is still not responding. I mean, for, for a long time, it pretty much became the standard strategy for people to just go to places like Reddit and start tagging the accounts of employees at Coinbase and shaming them publicly to even get a response in the first place. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I mean, like going through this, I mean, there's upwards just in the few like complaints that Mashable put in this article. And remember, there's like 130 something pages of these complaints that they received through their Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, it's like upwards of $100,000 of, of people's money just completely inaccessible. You know, I, I just, you know, looking Is back, it, it's probably like that's millions. In in total, millions of dollars wouldn't shock me at all, Nopara. But I mean, it's just like, it's absurd that a business can just get away with locking people out of their funds like this without any, like any legitimate reason in terms of compliance with regulations or criminal accusations for months. I mean, at this point, like some of these complaints are literally more than six months old. And if these are still outstanding complaints, I mean, that's absurd. Like at this point, like I see, I cannot see this not leading to like charges of criminal negligence. I mean, like a hundred thousand dollars of being locked up and made inaccessible to the person whose property it is. That's absurd. Like that is literally something that could very concretely damage their life in a very serious way. I mean, like, <laughs> Like imagine like a hundred thousand dollars, unless you are literally a multimillionaire, I cannot see that being anything but a serious amount of somebody's like liquid assets. Like what, what, what happens when bills come due? What happens if emergencies happen? Like, uh, you know, medical costs, like <laughs> just like maintenance with your property. Like if you have families. Maybe, maybe it's all Bitcoin course for it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's where it's like, I don't know, it kind of makes me worry about like people like this that are, uh, you know, 
they're not exactly the uh, small amount of people that are institutional investors, but people out there that are, you know, kind of somewhere in the ladder that has enough to invest as much in Bitcoin. And then they get these sort of problems and then they bring it up and, you know, maybe it's confusing to the people they're talking to where it sounds like a problem with Bitcoin. But hopefully it's just going to be seen more and more as a problem with uh, Coinbase. I think, you know, not just all of this, uh, you know, negligence, but also just sort of the whole process that they have as far as uh, launching coins and uh, what they're doing with that whole thing. And, you know, it's just a lot of dubious activity over there. I mean, um, you know, this is a uh, just one of those things where it's like it's it is upsetting that you see this sort of activity going on and it's not really getting that much of a response from any sort of agency in the united states where they're established and it's just like you know this is the broken system where it's just like you take funds and you move it around and you lobby individuals and you just pay off the right hands and you know you just go for this big bucks of institution and then move it around and you know you can do these sort of things that bitcoin was meant to uh you know get around so it's like if you ever i don't know i don't know it's just like over the past year it's it has been like you know at least coinbase did respond to those reddit threads and they would put out press releases saying well we're hiring customer support you know and we're we're doing this to where we're trying to appeal to these guys but it seems like they've just totally given all that up and you know, I mean, I'm glad that there's options out there like, uh, you know, the cash app, something, I mean, to where people at least can turn to that sort of thing where there isn't really these sort of problems going on. You see sort of customer service and uh, all that up at the forefront. So, I mean, there's other options out there, but it's definitely, you know, it's just upsetting to see like this sort of stuff run rampant without any real response. And yeah, Janine's having some major public Wi-Fi issues. She's probably going to be bouncing in and out. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's like, you know, at this point, like this, like either this leads to actual like charges of criminal negligence and damages, or like this will be very illuminating in terms of regulators and law enforcement selectively deciding to go easy or not really enforce any kind of like even-handed regulation or legal enforcement against companies that are going to play ball with their interest in this space in terms of okay if, if you'll if you'll pretty much probe your customers up the ass and collect all the personal and invasive information that we request then you, you can just do things like this and pretty much criminally deprive people of access to their property with no legal reason and we just won't do anything and so like i, I think seeing how this kind of plays out in the long term is going to be very very telling in terms of the regulatory or the not right the, the relationship between companies like coinbase and regulators and law enforcement in this country like if nothing comes of this then there are some shady connections in the background and people playing favorites here's something to think about uh, Coinbase is in the space for for very very long times I don't know 2012 13 very very long time what are the chances like can you even say one company that did not get hacked from and and in the space that long you know like you you can't what are the chances Coinbase did get hacked a couple of times and but but they they just they just didn't tell anyone 
Well, I mean, like that very much. I I could see that happening, but I don't see that having happened to a degree that it would actually prevent them from like being able to make accessible all customers assets. Like, I mean, the, the one thing I do have to give Coinbase credit for is they put a lot of thought into their cold storage setup. And like, as far as like companies that have actually very publicly like wrote about how their cold storage system is structured, Coinbase is, is probably the best out there. Like they have a, a very well set up multi-sig um, system and actually have that distributed amongst the high up members of the company in a way where you would not only need to gain access to them, but you would actually need to gain access to like very secure physical locations to be able to get enough keys to access cold storage. And so considering the size of the business and how profitable they are, I could see them having been hacked and kind of just not acknowledging that publicly, but I don't see that really affecting them to the point where they're unable to meet the liabilities with their customers. And like, you know, it's like the, 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 the real issue here is just in, in my mind that they're going way overboard in terms of just like locking people out of things. Like, and I mean, if you just look at like the history of bugs, and just problems with their backend system. I mean, I cannot count the number of times that their their system is bugged out in terms of interacting with their node. <clears throat> and I've seen deposits like have literally a hundred thousand plus confirmations. Like it's it's like <laughs> literally like their node is time traveling. <clears throat> and so like they they do not have a history of actually doing a good job in terms of developing their system. And so with like the tendency to be overly aggressive in terms of applying, you know, AML KYC regulations and just the fact that like, it seems like every time they try to deploy a new system, they fuck things up. And then like, I'm not sure if you remember Nopara, but uh, there's also a pending lawsuit for um, the, they have a feature internally where you can kind of transfer um, coins on their platform by email address and they will allow you to um, <clears throat> do this for somebody who's actually not registered for Coinbase. I and remember have, what's with that. Mm -hmm. They have the, yeah, but they have the pending lawsuit for a number of people who've been sent coins in this manner and pretty much um, being forced to either sign up for Coinbase or being unable to claim their property. And the state of California has very strict regulations in terms of what a business is supposed to do as far as possessing unclaimed property of another individual and they just completely ignored those regulations and so they have the pending lawsuit for that as well and i mean it's just it seems they are like doing the same. they are still doing the same mm -hmm. but you, you want know to I mean? pay at the website that's through coinbase and something goes wrong either on coinbase's end or on your end but on coinbase's and on your end cannot cause many things wrong maybe you send more money than then you have to you have to create a coinbase account mm -hmm. but it's it just like it's it's very strange to me to see them be so harsh and, and so quick to jump the gun to just lock people out of their accounts but yet you look at you know something like the the requirements for handling the property of people who are not registered coinbase customers and they've just completely ignored those regulations 
So it seems like very selective in terms of what regulations they will jump through all these hoops to comply with. And like, I, you know, it's like, like I said, like if, if something serious in terms of liability or charges of criminal negligence, like does not come of this, then I cannot conclude anything except there are a lot of shady relationships with regulators in the background and the regulators are going to play nice with them and go easy on them when they otherwise shouldn't because of those relationships. I mean, it, nothing else would make sense to me if nothing really concrete in terms of penalties comes of this. If you conclude the system doesn't work. That's what I would say where it's like, it's upsetting. And I know the chat says, you know, my agencies, like we're making an appeal to these agencies. It's just like, it's an upsetting fact that the, you know, these systems just don't work. But absolutely, you know, not just the hacks, like the possibility of a hack, you know, I also just think about like, yeah, they're bad history with all this back end where, you know, it's cost them and uh, just the decision making with the whole ETC fork and like how much is that going to cost them? And I imagine there's a lot of, you know, payments that they're making, especially if they're also, you know, greasing the right hands on the back end of that. I imagine they are, you know, I don't know, they're probably operating a margin there. ETC, Coinbase got hacked and it was publicly acknowledged. I think Junsus still has like a hundred dollars in ETC. They haven't credited him. <laughs> oh man! But like, it's you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not like whining. Like, you know, government come and help me. I, I do like I, my interaction with Coinbase is pretty much I drop Bitcoin on there and I spend it with my shift card. Like, I personally have never had any of these issues with them. I, I have had issues with them but nothing that ever went completely unresolved. But again, that's my personal experience. And I interact with them in a very narrow, specific way compared to people who generally make use of all the different services and products on that platform. But, you know, the, I'm just looking at this more as like the canary in the coal mine. Like this will show us something depending on how this situation unfolds. Like if no serious charges or, or liabilities for damages are held against Coinbase because of this, then it, that's, that's the canary in the coal mine showing us something, that there is some reason why regulators are going to go easy on them or not come down as harshly as they otherwise should have. And I cannot conclude if things go that way, anything but like, very shady relationships with those regulators in the background. I mean, you know, institutions and agencies like that don't just go easy for no reason. They go easy because there's favors being traded in the background. Yeah, I mean, like kind of worried about that with that whole SEC statement from that guy. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's it's nothing really new around here, but it is just like, uh, I don't know. It's just sort of disappointing to see it just so pervasive, even throughout every little industry. I mean, really in crypto, it's just because it's there's so much wealth being generated and so much wealth being moved around to where, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's keeping powerful brokers powerful. And, um, you know, right now they've been doing things the wrong way for a long time. So, you know, the more quickly we could see these uh, systems kind of bite back and uh, hurt those guys, then, um, you know, the quicker we could maybe see, you know, a legitimate system come into place. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just like we're going to have to wait and see how this unfolds. But, I mean, like Coinbase has a lot of like shit to deal with. They still have that pending lawsuit for holding non-customers property in, in violation of California regulations. Uh, much weaker uh, chance of actually going anywhere, but they still have that class action lawsuit uh, as far as the Bcash launch and the obvious manipulation that was entwined with that. And now they have all of these SEC complaints for people being locked out of their accounts. I mean, you know, Coinbase is is rolling in money and looked at as a giant in this space, but like they're really just racking up like very serious legal complaints that I like, at least from my perception, always just seem to get brushed under the rug. It's like, you know, something is announced. Eh, everybody talks about it for a week and then it just kind of drifts out of like the, the public consciousness after that. But like, the, these are very serious things in terms of shit they've been fucking up or responsibilities they've not been handling properly. And like, you know, it, it might have disappeared from the weekly news cycle, but like these things are still unfolding. Yeah, I mean, one day it's going to be a big fire and then hopefully it'll just be over. But I imagine a lot of people might get hurt in that. Mm -hmm. All right. So I guess I'm going to slide along into the next topic. Um, All right. DPW uh, Holdings um, is apparently uh, <laughs> launching a new 10 nanometer miner uh, called the Anteater. And I, I do want to explicitly say here, um, this is absolutely in no way an endorsement to actually buy this product. So like, if you are <laughs> going to investigate this along those lines, do your research, do your due diligence, like, do not take anything I'm saying here as advice to actually buy this device. But um, the, these are actually using the, um, the chipset developed by Samsung. And so I'm, I'm kind of speculating here, but I'm wondering if this might kind of be the first instance we're seeing of the open source chips designed by how long actually being you know, produced by another company or if potentially Samsung ha has access to that and is kind of starting to look into developing relationships with other companies as far as actually selling an end user product and simply tapering out the chips in bulk themselves. Because, you know, Samsung is one of the, the few companies out there that actually has its own uh, chip foundries. And they have a long history of kind of developing uh, chipsets or processors for specific things and then kind of engaging in relationships with, uh, you know, end user product companies and kind of just selling them in bulk to get put into other companies' products. And, you know, again, like, do not take this as an endorsement or advice to buy this, but uh, DPW Holdings is actually a, uh, a very big publicly traded company in California that holds a, a lot of stock in a number of different technology companies. And so, you know, while at the same time, I'm not advising you to run out and buy this, like this is not some random company that just popped up out of the ether and started going, we're going to sell Bitcoin miners now. Like th this is uh like the the super miner company that's actually going to be selling these is held um and invested in by an actual like very big publicly traded company 
And so I can't imagine that they would get into a relationship like this without doing some kind of due diligence or research to make sure that this is actually a legitimate product that is going to ship at the end of this. But, you know, depending on how this actually goes, you know, they're, they're advertising a little more than 72 terahash per device. You know, these being produced by Samsung, I can't imagine that they're going to just fall completely short of the efficiencies, especially after Samsung has kind of had a little experience as far as their relationship with how long and taping out those chips. So, you know, it's kind of nice to see yet another competitor potentially pop up for Bitmain. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people looking for competition in the mining space are just expecting somebody to pop out of nowhere and kind of just knock Bitmain down in one punch. That's it's not really how things work. Like it's it's really going to take a decent amount of time for competitors to really you know push out their own products, like work out the problems involved in like tapering a new chip design the issues that pop up as far as actually manufacturing and producing the end product and kind of, you know, slowly weeding out those issues and really getting down to having the most efficient product possible. And at the end of the day, also, you know, markets tend to move into a few big dominant players. And I mean, universally, the Pareto distribution, especially in markets, it just, it, it tends to be a universal like pattern that just pops up mathematically in a lot of things. And so, you know, we're not necessarily going to see Bitmain just get knocked down out of nowhere and completely pushed out of the space. But it will be good to see a, a large number of other companies enter and have products that actually are efficient and are cost effective to run in the long term. And even if that doesn't just completely destroy Bitmain as a company, like just having those alternatives having them slowly eat up more of the market share and become an actual competitive alternative. The, the name of the game isn't just kill Bitmain outright. The name of the game is make sure that they are not the only option and that they are not producing enough of the actual hash rate to be able to just have total control over who can actually, you know, enter into this space and compete effectively. And I think, you know, over the next few years, you know, things are looking very good from my perspective in terms of, you know, that actually happening. Yeah, like you're saying, I mean, it's not going to knock them out overnight, but, you know, you see these uh, guys that are coming in the space like this company and uh, GMO, you know, doing their due diligence and, you know, just heavy in the entire tech sector, you know, from all these different areas to, you know, where they're, they know what they're getting involved in. And, you know, you could see these uh, hash rates going up and, you know, yeah, like they've got uh, how long open source uh, chip to work with. And, you know, we're going to see uh, reduced uh, nanometer size chips over time. And uh, yeah, I mean, the long run game, it looks a lot uh, better, but it's certainly something where, you know, yeah, the efficiencies will be found and the, and, uh, the technology will keep advancing. And, you know, it's a uh, bit had control over that part of a, uh, the network for a while as far as being like the uh without really much competition so you know it's just great to see the competition coming in being so uh well versed in the area and knowing what they're getting into mm -hmm. i mean how about you nopara i mean like what's your kind of take on this uh you know this new mining company 
Not looking good. Not looking good? Uh, looking, looking. Yes, it is looking good. Positive, <laughs> positive views. Yeah, you know, I, I talked about in previous shows that how many things are happening in mining space. I did not expect that I was at one point even supporting uh, proof of work change and things like that. But, but you guys were right. I was worrying for nothing. Mm -hmm. Now maybe if we can actually, you know, beat some sense into Luke, <laughs> we we can get to uh, outing Cobra as the giant walking bullshit that he is. <laughs> oh, man. It's gonna take a while, but maybe it'll happen. Mm -hmm. All right. So I guess uh, I don't know. You want to take over and uh, break yeah. down some other news in the mining space for us, Rick? Yeah, it looks like uh, Colorado is back in the news, uh, you know, a little bit. But uh, this uh, company, 3G Venture 2, um, you know, out of San Francisco, paid $13 million last week for a uh, large portion of a former Intel Corporation chip, chip making complex in Colorado Springs that they uh, shut down back in 2009 when they were finished with their chip production. So, uh, yeah, there's like a kind of a chip production fab there. And um, so that's interesting. But uh, 3G's Venture... Purchase, you know, it's uh, 30 acres and 700,000 square feet and, uh, you know, about 80,000 or so uh, square feet is going to be used for their mining operation. While the uh, 640,000 square foot uh, chip facility, the fabrication part of the facility will uh, be leased out to some industrial tenants. So it'll be uh, interesting to see. Maybe there'll actually be some chip fabrication going on with a mining facility right next door, so similar to what we saw in uh, China with Bitmain to where you could really start producing and mining kind of like right next to each other. But, um, you know, that's, uh, that's going to come later, but, um, yeah, uh, let's see. So, um, the plant was, uh, opened back in 2000, you know, uh, the year 2000 and, uh, to produce semiconductors and, uh, yeah, it's a 1.4 million square foot complex. So they purchased uh, 700,000 square feet of it. So it's not the entire complex, but, um, you know, it's down in, uh, Colorado Springs, which, uh, you know, I know the area a little bit and it is, uh, host to, um, a big air force base there and a Colorado state university and they offer uh, cheap electricity. It's one of the things that they do down there to try and entice businesses to come in the area. And we've seen a pretty large amount of the tech sector showing up there to build data centers and things like that. Whenever uh, they're offering about uh, eight cents per kilowatt, 7.94 cents a kilowatt hour. So I guess that's a pretty good price here in the U S so people are coming over here to do that. And uh, so, yeah, these, uh, you know, this is just another bit about the expansion of mining that's going on. And I mean, here in Colorado, I mean, there's lots of uh, stuff going on as far as uh, regulations that are trying to move through the Senate and the House here that are going to try and open up the whole ability to move and transmit uh, these uh, currencies, these cryptos with, uh, without money transmitters licensing. And uh, so it's, it's an interesting uh, area to where there's developments going on. And uh, this is, <coughs> excuse me, definitely another good development in the mining sector. And, you know, like we're just saying with these uh, new miners from GMO coming online and how long and uh, this anteater competition coming up with these Samsung chips, increased hash rate. It's like uh, all this has been going on since the drop from 20K. 
And uh, it's just going to be, I don't know, I think it's going to be a real interesting bounce because we've seen also just like more users signing up to more platforms and uh, more industrial indexes to where whenever the FOMO does happen, I imagine there's going to be a lot more people with the ability to actually purchase. So um, I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely like uh, all around bullish Bitcoin news for me and, uh, and mining and just the whole uh, competitive aspect of this and, uh, you know, just seeing more companies take interest because uh, this 3G Ventures too, you know, they're run out of San Fran and the guy who runs it, John Chin, I was trying to look up some more information on him and uh, it really, I really didn't uh, find that much as far as like with this company, but there was a John Chin who runs uh, BlackBerry and, uh, you know, a bunch of other tech companies. And I just, uh, I couldn't make that connection just yet, but I mean, like uh, you can speculate about that. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, another uh, pretty bullish uh, mining story. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that's expanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, you know, I'm really kind of interested in the potential, you know, like you were saying in the long term of them actually attempting to manufacture like their own chips on site and actually just kind of operate themselves. You know, that kind of, you know, especially with the, um, you know, the anteater and the potential that that's, you know, Samsung actually taking the how long chip design and kind of looking to get into like bulk manufacturing relationships with other people. It, it really has me wondering, like long term, if we might kind of see just a general shift over like the next five or 10 years in the mining ecosystem. And it, instead of you know, chip companies trying to actually produce the devices and sell to end consumers, we might just see like things shift more to mining operations, moving to directly manufacture things themselves instead of kind of having like companies like Bitmain as like a kind of the intermediary between foundry access and the actual end miners. You know, I'm kind of really interested to see if things start going that way. And then like also like the, the electric prices, you know, being around like, you know, seven cents a kilowatt hour, you know, especially like the, with the next story, when you get into that, you know, it's, it's got me wondering like how many large mining operations might start moving to places with a little higher, like electricity prices than they could get in places like Washington. You know, I think it's only like two or three cents a kilowatt hour, kind of just in anticipation of like regulatory action from the the local governments and trying to kind of you know tamper down like the the deals that miners are getting or coming up with like other pricing schemes to kind of cut them out of having access that cheap and you know whether they might start moving to places that really aren't the cheapest places but still like potentially competitive in the long term just so that they don't have to deal with like moving somewhere and then having you know, those prices kind of changed out from under them due to like public backlash and how the government reacts to that. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, you know, the whole, um, you know, regulatory framework as far as what's building out here in Colorado and, um, you know, Scott from the chats mentioning, you know, Wyoming and uh, I don't know much about Utah's, uh, you know, blockchain and Bitcoin and how exactly they're setting up their legislation. But I know Wyoming's taking a big, uh, big leap and all that. And uh, Colorado is trying to follow suit with the similar uh, lobbyists that are working here in Colorado. And it would be uh, interesting to, uh, you know, see like whether or not the miners would uh, choose that little bit of extra price increase over, um, you know, basically like a 
robust uh, regulatory framework that's going to keep that uh, price in point. And, uh, you know, yet, like you're saying, you know, the fabrication uh, facility right next to the uh, mining operation is definitely an interesting aspect. But also, I uh, just forgot to mention that uh, in this purchase, the, the uh, facility also came with a substation and uh, two separate power connections. So uh, it's already got like a, a good, well-built electric, electric system there to where uh, they're not really going to worry about shutting down their system. Like I was saying, there's a military base and a big uh, university there. And I imagine uh, this uh, cost per kilowatt hour, you know, should be able to maintain that, especially if they get all the legislation in, in, uh, in place. Because, uh, yeah, like you were mentioning this next story, I guess uh, maybe just go right into it. Um, you know, this uh, the legislation framework in Quebec wasn't exactly uh, so short up to where they were, uh, you know, good to go with all that. And uh, so this is something we've been seeing that's kind of a trend where it's like, uh, you know, but let's just get into this part. OK, so uh, back in March, you know, uh, in Quebec, we saw like a ban on all, all crypto mining in the area just uh, while they figured out what was a uh, fair price for energy consumption. And uh, the ban was lifted on May 30th. So now Quebec is uh, raising the price of electricity for commercial use to 15 cents uh, per kilowatt hour, which is three times more than the initial cost. And, uh, you know, this is only affecting uh, miners that are not already set up and running. So mining operations that are already established won't be affected. I imagine it's like a contract that they have set up and uh you know they're not gonna change that it's just uh they're worried about it looks like this is all sort of a backlash to the amount of applications that they've had in the continued growth in the area to where they're worried that it's gonna basically just drive up the uh cost of electricity for everyone in the area so they're slowing everything down and i guess this uh large price point per kilowatt hour based on what it was is uh just to sort of like stop the application process and sort of halt people in their tracks whenever people are thinking about setting up mining operations there because i guess it's just been a large volume over there and i mean uh we know we've seen a lot of new miners come on over there since the china ban and uh it's just uh something that is kind of one little worry in all this is because we've seen something uh similar in washington they put a moratorium on mining because of a uh, risk to public health and uh, rogue mining operations and uh, also just uh, driving up the cost of electricity for uh, people for residents of the area. So um, this is where yet you know you're saying like it, it might uh, these companies might want to think twice about maybe just jumping to the cheapest place where it might not have the regulatory framework to kind of keep every uh, everything there because um, you know as we're seeing like uh, it's got really cheap power but um, as soon as like all these operations come online and uh, people start applying and, you know, they're expecting this growth, then, uh, you know, it does put a little bit of a backlash from the public that uh, might have to pay a little bit extra more or hear from these mining operations or deal with some of its uh, health concerns. So, um, yeah, you know, this is the one kind of pushback we're seeing in an area of mining where, um, you know, the growth is kind of being stagnated just because of the fact that uh, some of these areas with cheap electricity weren't really, uh, you know, had the proper framework in place and uh, weren't really ready for the, uh, you know, the amount of volume that came their way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, 
I got to imagine a lot of the mining like operations already set up are a little nervous because, <laughs> you know, like you said, this is really only for like any new ones that set up. But like, I, I can't imagine that they're not like kind of worried now about whether their price points will get changed or, you know, this regulation might be expanded to kind of affect already established mining operations. And I mean, you know, it's it's really kind of silly because... Like, you know, I think, like, we covered it a little while back. Like, what part of the reason for, like, officials in Quebec really starting to rethink this was, like, them looking at, like, the number of jobs that things or, like, these operations are creating versus how much electricity they're consuming. And it's, like, personally, I really think it's a broken way to think about this kind of stuff. I mean, like, if you're just worried about, like, the electricity uh, markets being affected in terms of, like, miners driving up the cost everywhere, like, what, why not institute, like, a capacity cap? You know what I mean? Like, you could kind of look at, like, the, the unused power now and just start looking at, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> it sucks to kind of be talking about a socialistic policy like this but just kind of capping like the maximum amount of electricity that mining operations can use and just kind of like deal with that in response to how electricity demands you know evolve for other types of things in the area and i mean it's it's really kind of silly to start looking at just like playing with prices relative to things when you could just be looking at like the maximum electricity capacity and then just kind of gauging things based on like how much of that capacity being eaten up by mining would affect non-mining uses of electricity. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't have to be so socialist thought, really. I mean, like, uh, you know, this is just like one of those things where you're seeing a pushback because the residents weren't expecting like the uh, the rates rate rise in like uh, certain aspects to this. And um, I mean, yeah, it is something where areas uh, that want to grow, they can sort of um, sort of pick like, okay, well, we can um, allow, you know, mining operations to come to the area, but as long as it doesn't affect to this level, and then they figure that out. And, uh, you know, I think that's what we're seeing really in Quebec and, and all this is like, they just like weren't expecting the the volume they had. And they're already worried a little bit about the way that, uh, you know, I don't know, mining's always sort of been talked about commoditized uh, power, you know, like cheap power, you outsource cheap power and you bring it to areas where it's more expensive. And I've heard it described like that. And I mean, um, kind of just sort of like evening out the price grid on electricity. So, I mean, um, yeah, it's just one of those things where certain areas are going to have to figure out whether or not they want to grow to a certain level within this economy or uh, if they'd like to keep the resources uh, cheap like they are right now. Mm hmm. Oh, man. I mean, it's just gonna have to wait and see. I mean, <laughs> it, it really sucks because it's like every time something good happens in this space, there's always that like temper, the, the FOMO happiness there. But I mean, it's it, like you, you've already got like people out there like sitting there saying like Bitcoiners need to start like crowdfunding or looking to invest in like their own power production period to not have to kind of deal with big utility companies like this in terms of where they're getting their electricity from. But I mean, like to really like ramp that up, I mean, like if you're going to look for a more traditional power source, like coal or like natural gas, like there's, 
like you're not doing that cheap and there's going to be an unbelievable amount of red tape in that. And then like, if you want to look at like more renewable sources, I mean, I'm still not really convinced that solar power is going to be a viable option in terms of larger scale mining operations. And then with hydroelectric power, I mean, you're right back to dealing with like regulatory red tape, considering the environmental concerns that come into play when you're talking about building a new dam. And then, I mean, like it, like what, what's, what's the other option there? Like nuclear power? Like, <laughs> I mean, considering the fucking, the, the regulations involved with that, I mean, the idea of Bitcoiners building a nuclear power plant to do that is like the most laughable thing in the world. Like we're, yeah. we're still using like 50 year old plants because of the, the insane costs in terms of just sheer maintenance. And then like, look at the regulatory oversight involved in dealing with like nuclear power sources. I mean, like that's, that's just straight up not fucking happening until you get a government somewhere that just decides to go hands off. Like we'll, like do all the Bitcoin shit you want. And <laughs> I don't see that happening anytime soon. Well, like, you know, you're saying, I mean, like there's always these little hiccups along the way, but I think the bigger takeaway from all this really is just looking at the companies and the people that are getting invested and in, that they see the long run of where we're going and, uh, you know, long-term goals on this and just how early on it is like, uh, you know, with like, yeah, people just buying these old facilities that have, you know, a little substation and some extra power connections or just something to get going as quick as possible. While, uh, you know, I kind of see that whole um, aspect of uh, renewable energy with Bitcoin mining really kind of uh, taken off one day to where they figure out a little bit of a better way to combine these different renewables to uh, find out new mining efficiencies. And we start seeing a future with, uh, you know, Bitcoin and crypto and mining in a way like, you know, can't even really i try to think about it you know it's fun just to think about ak on his bitcoin bus and people that are using miners to eat their uh, eat their areas and just different little aspects where you know this early on we're seeing you know people try to find other use cases to, i think we did a story a little while back where they were using some of their uh mining to uh feed plants in 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 a certain country so yeah there's different things that are coming on where uh, i think we'll start to see a lot of different things come on with mining later yeah i mean i was just thinking the other day that like uh there, there's a lot of worry and concern in the space i think for for free or unlimited energy coming out or or even energy regulations and subsidization and all this all this type of thing and i think that like a lot of it's kind of unfounded fears that that if we scale up the the electrical infrastructure uh the power production to the point where like we can feed all these miners we start having other issues we start having infrastructural issues delivering the power to the premise becomes the issue that becomes the expense the expense isn't actually in the power production anymore so we could move right to an environment where we end up with free power everyone's like oh my god we have free power it's going to change everything and then really not much changes at all because delivering it and getting the power to where it's supposed to go is very difficult and no matter how you scale it up i really don't see any like solid easy solutions that aren't going to take as long as the energy problem itself so i mean i see this all just continuing to scale up naturally within the the 
you know, the kind of the, the general pattern that we see now. Yeah, sounds like a long road, but I don't know. The, the end goal is pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, we'll just follow all the developments along the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's kind of like why, you know, you saw like a lot of mining operations in China kind of being set up in the mountains, like directly near the hydro dams to kind of, you know, take that power that's being lost uh, in the process of delivery and actually do something with it. And, you know, I've it's kind of hard to really get accurate news out of China, but, you know, from what I've been hearing and seeing, like a lot of that's been kind of clamped down on because, you know, <laughs> the Chinese government likes to plan out how everything works and <laughs> they don't like people just playing with those market inefficiencies all by themselves. Yeah, it's happened. I mean, that's what we're seeing in Washington. I mean, I think the same thing was happening there where they were setting up, uh, you know, rogue operations and everything like that. So uh, next to these hydroelectric plants, it's a, uh, it's definitely moving in a direction that I don't see stopping anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Uh, Want to see how your uh, connection's doing, Janine, and uh, get into your stories? Test, test. Yeah. How How is it right now? Am I glitching really badly? Nope. Sounds pretty good. Hey, you want to, I oh, guess, okay. into, so, uh, Mount Gox? Yeah, so the the story of Mount Gox continues because uh, a few days ago there was an announcement from, uh, I think his name is pronounced uh, Kuba, Kuba Aki Kobay, or no, sorry. Uh, Kobayashi. Kobayashi. Yashi. Oh, my God. I am really bad. Um, with these names. Uh, he was appointed as the new civil rehabilitation trustee by administrative order from the Tokyo District Court. Uh, for anyone to, who doesn't know, um, a civil rehabilitation trustee is responsible for implementing a civil rehabilitation plan, um, like the administrative and disposition of assets and also the investigation of claims. Uh, and the submission of the proposed civil rehabilitation plan and the implementation of the plan. Uh, so they kind of repeated that. Um, so uh, they just to give a brief uh, description of what the announcement is, uh, basically he said that some creditors of Mt. Gox filed a petition for commencement of civil rehabilitation proceedings against Mt. Gox with the Tokyo District Court on November 24th, 2017. And the commencement of the civil rehabilitation proceedings um, have now begun. So as a result, the previous ongoing bankruptcy proceedings that Mount Cox was going through have been uh, stayed, which means they've basically been put on hold for now. Um, for anyone who is not sure what the difference is between bankruptcy proceedings and civil rehabilitation proceedings, uh, they provide some information about that in the FAQ. Uh, the main differences, the key differences are that in bankruptcy and authority state is exclusive, exclusively vested in a bankruptcy trustee, whereas in a civil rehabilitation proceeding, um, in principle, the civil rehabilitation debtor uh, retains the power and authority to administer and dispose of its assets. Um, so I assume in non-legalese language that that means that the assets are not being seized in order to uh, attempt to make creditors whole. They're just, they take more of a light touch 
and they assume that the debtor will um, the debtor will voluntarily do this as part of the process of rehabilitation. Um, another key difference is that in bankruptcy proceedings, non-monetary claims are converted into monetary claims based on the valuation at the time of the commencement of the bankruptcy proceedings. Whereas in civil rehabilitation, non-monetary claims are not converted into monetary claims at the time of the commencement of the proceedings. Um, therefore, in civil rehabilitation, claims seeking a refund of Bitcoins, which they are calling Bitcoin claims, will not also be converted into monetary claims after the commencement of the proceedings. So in non-legalese, that uh, basically means, as far as I know, that people who lost Bitcoin as a result of the hack have the option to reclaim their Bitcoin as Bitcoin and not as an approximated value of that Bitcoin in a fiat currency such as dollars or uh, yen or something like that. Um, yeah. However, uh, you should be aware that at this moment, you cannot file a claim for cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin. So you cannot say that, well, if I had if I had still had all of those Bitcoins at this point in time, I would also have the ability to split them and sell uh, the Bcash as well. Uh, at this time, they're not accepting those kinds of claims, just Bitcoin. Um, some people may be upset about that, <laughs> I assume. Um, they also admit uh, very clearly, as many people suspected that, yeah. Um, they also admit that, um, as many people suspected, they sold large amounts of Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash in December 2017 and February 2018, which was when there was uh, a, a lot more volatility in the market than normal. And people also noticed that some of the Mt. Gox coins were moving. So they categorically say in, in the sales from December 2017 and February 2018, upon consultation with cryptocurrency transaction experts, I have never heard of an expert in cryptocurrency transactions, but okay. Um, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash were sold in a manner that had no effect on market price and not uh, by ordinary sale on exchange while ensuring the security of the transaction to the extent possible. Well, okay, I wouldn't say that there was no effect on the market price because there clearly was, even if it wasn't their intention, I have no idea, but they are clearly trying to dispel any responsibility in that. Um, he also outlines the schedule um, on which these civil proceedings will take place. Of particular note is that the deadline for the filing proofs of rehabilitation claims uh, uh, is starting on October 22nd. So you have to file claims um, before that, uh, or you will, I, th I think, I believe that's the date for that. So if you have, if you were a Mt. Gox customer and you lost Bitcoin, I think that's the last date that you can file a claim. And the deadline for the rehabilitation plan that Mt. Gox will be undergoing is starting on February 14th, uh, 2019 or when they, when they have the proposed plan ready that they're going to follow. Um, and so if you have any further questions, uh, they've also set up a call center for inquiries, but at this time they will not, uh, they say they will not answer questions that go outside the scope of what they've outlined in the FAQ section of the document. So, yeah. Interesting. I mean, like I'm thinking about how uh, they were supposed to be paying out individuals in the uh, cost of Bitcoin whenever uh, Gox went down and people were real upset. So the aspect of getting your uh, funds back in Bitcoin, I'm sure is a good thing. But it is uh, 
interesting to see just like i guess they got to come up with a uh, plan to uh when they're going to move these coins and how they're going to sell them because uh you're right i mean like they when they those coins were moving it was news and uh the market did make a move i think that was when it dropped below 10 or it was uh around there and uh i mean uh i don't know that's pretty an interesting thing where i don't know can you see like whether or not they split the coins and then they uh, sold off the bcash and uh or i don't know well, Something. I mean, didn't didn't they actually trace those coins to exchange deposits, and then Jesse Powell, uh, CEO of Kraken, actually made a public statement in response to that that they had advised to dump over the counter and actually that's right, that's right, facilitate that themselves, and they were kind of curious why um, their advice was being ignored. Yeah, I remember that. That is, uh, yeah, Jesse did say that. And um, so, I don't know, I guess it's uh, it's something where maybe like uh, the space, like that sort of response and, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in Japan that we'll get to as far as exchanges and regulations and all that. So I guess they saw that this uh, bankruptcy court was not the right place for this. And, uh, you know, that they were, they didn't really have access to seize the funds that much. I guess, you know, the coins were still in uh, held in public trust but they were still being moved without uh, proper guidance. So maybe that's why we're starting to see this, uh, you know, case sort of move over to this uh, civil rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find it like that's, I mean, that's a really ballsy statement to put in there that they did not <laughs> dump on the open market or affect the market price in any way when clearly that news had some effect and influence on market dynamics and there is a litany of evidence showing that that was or that those coins were actually deposited onto an exchange to the point where an exchange ceo literally made a public statement to the effect of why the fuck are you dumping on the open market yeah, I mean the idea that like for them to say their intention was not to to uh you know change the price or affect the market price i mean i guess they could make that claim but for them to say that they did not affect the market price is just completely like they clearly did it doesn't matter like even if they had done it uh over the counter and not through an exchange even if that information had gotten out and people knew that the coins were being sold that would have been a market event and people it would affect the price either way um, but because obviously they didn't on exchange, like, I'm sorry, when you sell that amount of volume of coins, that is going to affect the market price. That is how market works. It, the price is based on how much selling there is and how much buying there is and what also what the sentiment is. And the sentiment was like bringing back all of this fear over the past several years about what was going to happen with Mt. Gox. And with that volume of coins, like there's no way that that was not going to affect the market price of Bitcoin. That's just not how markets work. Guys, do you know when will Gox users cut money? I actually, uh, I'm not sure. I haven't uh, really followed that too closely. I mean, you know, at the time I had pretty much just gotten into the space and I was using local Bitcoins at the time. So I honestly haven't really been following this too closely. No, no, I, I mean, when, when, will they, when will they get the money? Because it's not unreasonable to assume that the price will go up and they get the money, they will buy it back or 
at least a big percentage of them are going to buy Bitcoin back. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm not really sure when um, the fiat from the liquidations, like it hasn't, like- I mean, it, it might happened. be Bitcoin. I mean, they said they might, they can get Bitcoin back on this one. I mean, it says uh, February is when they got to have the guidance. So maybe after that, maybe shortly after that. Well, I mean, anything from this, yeah, but uh, they, they've already liquidated a large amount of Bitcoin. Like, um, Jeanine, do you know, like, if they've actually started going through the process of uh, giving users back uh, fiat from the liquidations yet? Uh-oh. I'm sensing a connection drop off. She refuses to answer you. <laughs> that they released that statement where they said they were going to give people a certain dollar figure a fiat amount but um i don't know if they actually issued that but uh definitely with the coins being moved i imagine they had the ability to or they were trying to gain the ability to do that mm, yeah but uh i don't know i'm not really sure no part i don't want to go shooting on an answer out of my ass <laughs> oh well i think we lost her man Mm -hmm. Uh oh. Tick tock, tick tock. All right, I'm going to assume a connection malfunction. Yeah, we can use the uh, other one as a final thought. Mm hmm. But um, yeah, it's you know I. Oh, What's happening? <laughs> I, I was asking you if uh if you were aware of how the uh, distribution of fiat from the previous liquidations has gone, like if they've started uh divvying up any of that money yet um as i i don't know i don't think that's mentioned in the document um because they they even says in the document that they don't am i glitching out no we can hear you fine okay um the i think the only thing i remember about that they said specifically in the document that um they're not even accepting claims at this moment they're going to like make another announcement when they're going to start accepting claims and then the deadline is october 22nd so i don't think they have started that okay not, not anytime soon it seems mm -hmm. i i imagine if we uh start switching direction and moving up in the market though there's going to be a lot of pissed off people who uh <laughs> wind up getting uh less bitcoin than they could <laughs> if it was distributed sooner it'll be interesting to follow i guess we'll see how it plays out but i guess it'll be closer to the 2020 happening so who knows where we'll be price wise mm -hmm. but uh i don't know janine you wanna you wanna show us this uh this immaculate price oracle you've discovered since the last episode. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, guys, why why are we aiming our sights on the moon when we can like go up to Uranus, you know, much, much better, much farther, much loftier goal, I think, than going to the moon. So there's apparently this Chicago, he's described as a Chicago-based investor who says he has invested over $11,000 in, quote, cryptocurrencies. He doesn't say which ones. I'm assuming at least one of them is Bitcoin because he's making price predictions about Bitcoin. But he basically has said that he invested in cryptocurrencies because astrologers told me to. Uh, and that has been um, 
uh, he has now been told by these financial astrologers that the movement of the planet Uranus, which represents revolution and change, uh, is is a is in a good position or will be in a good position for cryptocurrencies. And so he says a bunch of these astrologers are moving their money into cryptocurrencies because of this. Um, there's a the really hilarious description uh, in like middle part of the article where he says he started to buy into astrology during the 2008 financial crisis when many horoscopes he read seemed to predict financial and social shifts. Uranus shifts every seven years and its last, last shift um, uh, into Aries, a sign known for individuality and activism, coincided with social movements like Arab Spring, Occupy Wall Street, and Black Lives Matter. Wait a second, those are like several years apart. Oops. Um, but that was proof to him that there was a correlation. <laughs> and <laughs> and so now with the move to Taurus, That's causation, which represents correlation. <laughs> with this move to Taurus, which represents finances and resources, Uranus is marking a new era for crypto. Um, so he and he also he makes a caveat. Um, I knew that astrology might not be an exact science, but it has the ability to predict trends by casting a big net, focusing on certain themes in the present day. Um, and I believe he actually makes, he makes a very specific date uh, prediction for the price. He says that before March 6th, 2019, um, that the price is going to drop somewhere between $4,000 and $1,300. And then after that, it's going to skyrocket. Uh, so great. And my favorite part of, I mean, this is a, clearly just a joke article that I wanted to share because um, uh, it's so ridiculous. My favorite quote from it, though, is where <laughs> the, the journalist who wrote this article said, astrology, which holds that the position of planets rules our destinies, is of course not based on science. Like, thanks, Market Watch. I wouldn't have known that part otherwise. <laughs> you had to clarify that because you were quoting a lunatic. I think we found our uh, Coinbase uh, life savings user right here. These are clearly superior memes to my shitty chart. <laughs> I think they, uh, they, uh, I don't know. They're off. Uh, they're off on the woods with this one. But this is uh, getting a lot more people coming in. So I guess this is where it's like you know we get these uh, cases about people storing their life savings in Coinbase, and we wonder who who would do such a thing. Somebody that's making their financial decisions based on the movements of Uranus. <laughs> yeah um i also do what I, I i thought this would be a good opportunity uh to i don't know kind of discuss because from my perspective a lot of the financial prediction markets are they're they're not very far from astrology <laughs> uh some of them seem to make sense uh i mean because they they like there are analyses of you know historical price movements in terms of like how people react to certain events or trends but um there's probably like for any traders out there who are laughing at this guy i would be a little bit more humble than that because some of you sometimes at least to people like me sound like you're astrologers when you're making some of your predictions <laughs> So I want to write a trading bot based on the movement of Uranus. 
Yes, <laughs> yes, do that. I predict that Bitcoin will either go up or down. But imagine how many people would buy that software. <laughs> Just market that in California, you'll be a millionaire, no problem. See, like the the to be serious for for a second or two mm -hmm. though like th this is why you cannot just look at events and trade purely off of events because you have no idea what news or what things other people out there are going to base their market activity on and if you're trading that's pretty much what you're trying to do is figure out what everybody else is going to do and react to that before they actually act. And you never know when some insane rich lunatic is just going to go, Uranus moved. I'm dumping a shit ton of money in <laughs> based on what the news is saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, let's be honest. There is some science behind it. Just, it just, the question is how much. It's like a social well, science. Yeah, so there's another part of the article where he, he says that he estimated 20% of investors at large make decisions based on horoscopes. So, I mean, it, it's kind of like a chicken and egg situation where yes. you have these astrologers making predictions about the movement of the planets saying that they're going to do specific kinds of like trading on those days as a consequence and so other people because they uh, i mean as long as they trust that they're actually going to do that and not just you know tricking people which they very male might be doing uh <laughs> i would guess um a lot of them are going to follow that price movement or take advantage of that simply because they think this large portion of astrology uh astrology based investors are going to certain thing on a certain day because of their belief in the movement of the planets influencing the price so yeah it ends we end up in a situation where even if most people don't believe it then they end up doing it anyway or at least following along with this this 20 percent who apparently do it based on horoscopes yeah, the chicken and egg thing is right on like, um, you know, like following the price of Bitcoin and the news for a long enough period of time, you'll see like, you know, movements and then people reaching for stories to uh, explain the movement. And, uh, you know, a lot sometimes you will see the story and then the movement. It's uh, it's always like a back and forth thing. But I think, yeah, just uh, the general trend really is like uh, what we're following here. It's um. I don't know. To me, it is one of those things where it's like you're looking at the price right now and it's like right at six thousand and people are screaming and I don't know what they're doing to me. I'd be like uh, trying to get as much of this as I can down here because it is kind of like people are just sort of following the narrative of like, can they get it below five saying that they want it to be two between two and three? Like, you know, and how long will it stay down there? And I, I don't know. But, you know, the stories that we've been talking about as far as mining and developments and all that stuff, if you look at the trend underneath all these stories, it's obvious where we're going. And I know booger guys always saying wind moon, wind moon. We don't know when, but it's pretty obvious that it's going to come at some point. Market memes. Market memes, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, though. Anybody else? Uh, 
have anything else to say before we slide along? Uh, just that eventually we'll stop seeing this sort of market manipulation. I mean, eventually. Blog Digest is. <laughs> Blog Digest is finally talking about the price. <laughs> yeah, here we go. That's a good. Yeah, we're finally talking about the price. But I'll say that you know this manipulation that's going on. It's like, you know, in the old game you could manipulate and make money on the other side, where uh, you know I don't know. It's a lot harder to do that on this in this system. So. You know, we eventually start to see that manipulation fade away. I mean, I like the fact that, like, the one time that we talk about the price in a really long time, it's to mock a bunch of idiots who like follow the planets, (laughs) the movement of the planets to make financial prediction decisions. I'll tell you something about the price it's a number, it moves. What is this number? Uh, currently 6,140. Nope. Okay. I was about to say 6,145. Now it's 6,180. It changed. You're right, Rick. It does change. Sorry, guys. Are we in an up moon cycle or a down moon cycle? I just need to know. I got to make some trades. That's, that's a good question. We don't, we don't talk about things here, Acmix. So so now I figured out I finally figured out what why Richard Hart has that um that candlestick thing in the background. It's like Calabra. some kind of it's like yeah. some kind of holy object for trading. It's like the candles. Yeah, oh, that's but, even the range. but you know oh my god, okay, I'm just gonna say it. Richard Hart is a moron. He went in six months from nobody should trade to hey guys, here's my BitMEX referral link. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know, that Bitcoin hex is that's the mind bender. I, I showed him a chart the other day of like the the long-term log trend line that is literally a trend line that has not been broken in almost 10 years like that is literally the trend bitcoin has been following since it was first created and he said my chart sucked (laughs) (laughs) that's right i saw that one oh man yeah it's uh i don't know fun to see him comment well richard let me take this opportunity to say your Oh, he, he, yeah, he cut, cut, out. You cut you off. He wouldn't let you say it. <laughs> oh, oh what happened? I got cut off. All right, now you can say it. Let's see. Okay, so I just, I just said I want to take this opportunity to say, Richard Hart, you're fired. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a sting a little bit. All right. <clears throat> All right. That's, that's over the line, guys. Right. That's right. over the line. Guy, YouTube demonetizes up the videos. <laughs> yeah, this is Max Friend. You know, he's got this guy's a character. All right, all right. <clears throat> Let's. Uh, all right, we we all done with the memeing. Time to slide into the last chunk of yes. stories. Yeah, let's let's go to the stories. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, this is a real quick one. The House of Representatives um, Ethics Committee has decided that any um, House representative that has at least $1,000 invested in cryptocurrencies 
must publicly declare their investment uh, because of conflict of interest reasons. And so far, um, they were unable to get a uh, response from a representative of the Senate Ethics Committee. But um, I honestly wouldn't be too shocked if uh, the Senate winds up taking a similar stance. <clears throat> and it's it's really going to be, I don't know, kind of an interesting thing to see, just as a, a little curiosity, like uh, how many members of Congress are actually invested in cryptocurrencies. And I mean, um, <clears throat> like at the end of the day, like <laughs> how can you even prove one way or the other if, if they're invested if they don't choose to volunteer that information i mean like <clears throat> there, <clears throat> there's no real way to actually <laughs> like prove that somebody has cryptocurrencies if if they've actually like taken the steps to protect their privacy like it's <laughs> you, you can't really prove it i mean how do you prove that somebody's in possession of a private key. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's already lots of uh, sideways uh, fundraising. You know, that's basically what these guys do is just fundraise. So um, I don't know. It's uh, like uh, somebody saying in the chat, Scott saying, uh, you know, they can legally inside do insider trading and, you know, they could do that. And uh, this is one of those things where I was reading in that same article, they were talking about the stock act and like, you know, they can't do uh IPOs and, um, you know, because it's not a, I guess it's not offered to the general public and, uh, you know, ICOs, they kind of are. So I want, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see like if there's any of these guys that have been behind some of these like Kodak ICOs or any kind of ICOs from the U S and see if maybe there's like a, a large chunk of change they got for their campaigns on that end. Mm, I mean, it's, like it's it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, <clears throat> if anybody actually does declare like any holdings they have, we can kind of look back and like see their prior like votes or opinions on certain things and like how like they choose to act to any relevant legislation like moving forward. You know, it's because it's, you know, it's always been kind of said in this space, like a big influence is going to be wealthy people, especially in government who hold Bitcoin kind of going to bat for it and, and you know this might kind of give us a little insight if anybody actually chooses to declare investments if they have any like whether that actually holds out <clears throat> as like a, a correlation with how they act yeah i mean I, I imagine we'll see some of that you know going forward especially with just all these regulations coming out and all these uh statements from different agencies and you know you can kind of uh you're not going to I don't know, it'd be hard to say like, oh, this guy got that, but you could pretty much read between the lines on this stuff. Mm -hmm. I guess I uh, want to slide into the next one. Yeah, what's going on? What else is going on? Well, uh, <clears throat> whoops, NVIDIA. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure everybody remembers... Um, NVIDIA ramping up their GPU production and actually releasing um, a lot of the inferior models with a little less quality control and power specifically tailored for uh, cryptocurrency mining. Um, well, uh, they fucked up <laughs> and it seems like they way overestimated the uh, demand <laughs> based on cryptocurrency mining. And for now, 
Um, they're pretty much not going to be releasing any new devices for the foreseeable future <clears throat> and actually had a, um, a big uh, Asian OEM partner returns 300,000 GPUs to NVIDIA <laughs> because of a drop in market demand. And I mean, <laughs> and there was all those empty shelves for about a month or so. And now they just, they got too many. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's uh, oopsies. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, this is like, this could like really bite them in the ass, you know, for a while. I mean, you know, as we've kind of seen in a lot of headlines and like look at the numbers, like Bitmain alone <clears throat> has really kind of exploded in, uh, you know, production growth to the point where they're actually, <clears throat> I think, like producing a little more revenue for uh, the actual uh, semiconductor fab plants than a huge established company like NVIDIA. I mean, you know, they work on a number of different chipsets and GPUs for all kinds of computing systems. And, you know, they, uh, yeah, like their kind of foray into the, the cryptocurrency market was a little half-assed in that they really didn't make any attempt to develop any kind of ASIC device or get into Bitcoin mining production. They kind of hedged their bets a little, <clears throat> just trying to, drop the price on gpus for mining other cryptocurrencies and i mean <laughs> that really kind of bit them in the ass hard yeah just really like an overestimation as to what's going on in the uh, altcoin mining market and like uh figuring that they could just you know gobble up that market share and not really worry about it but i mean like we've seen you know um bitmain sort of taking in a step in that direction and you know, I mean, like you're saying, NVIDIA is a big company with a lot of, uh, I imagine, reserve wealth kind of on the back end. And I mean, like, I kind of wonder if they maybe they would sort of shift their focus to where maybe they would be, you know, working in that, uh, you know, that semiconductor fabrication uh, area in Colorado, just sort of like working on ASICs, like trying to develop something that would actually be competitive in the market. But I mean, like, uh, yeah, if you really kind of need a stark contrast of reading between the lines on what all is going on in the crypto mining space. I mean, you can look at these stories as far as just Quebec, you know, with the amount of volume they've been getting for Bitcoin mining and the way those mining operations have been set up. And then you see these uh, these GPU miners from uh, NVIDIA, you know, sort of being on the back end, just sort of sitting there and uh, nobody's really set buying them up. So, I mean, at least that's like a uh, pretty, uh, Positive sign, I guess, that, you know, this is the direction we need to go. You know, it's just kind of got me wondering, because, you know, with all of the, you know, competitors really popping up in this space, you know, I've kind of been wondering for a while when it's really going to get to the point that we start seeing companies like, you know, Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA really get into this. And I mean... As far as NVIDIA is concerned, <laughs> I mean, well, like, I just, really don't see them anytime soon. Like, this probably burned them pretty bad. Well, I mean, like, also, just, like, the general trend in uh, where money is being generated. I mean, like, if you look at these uh, gaming, um, the gaming industry in general, I mean, it's not increased graphics and, uh, you know, gameplay. 
it's microtransactions and people buying particular items that they like. And it's not the beefed up GPUs. They're not going to be needed. So, I mean, like if they want to stay within the chip development and in this entire arena, I mean, they're going to have to make a move towards uh, actual ASIC development. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I know because like one of the things um, <clears throat> I know that they do some development as far as like chipsets for like deep learning applications and bit mains like really ramping up to try to compete with them there. And, you know, I'm kind of interested in the long term to see how that plays out if this really kind of spooks the NVIDIA board a little bit and um, depending on like how much capital they lose, like sinking all of this money into these cards they can't sell, <clears throat> like how this could maybe potentially bleed over into other parts of the business. Yeah, I don't know how much that's, I mean, like I've, I'm interested in the development and the competition and the development of that, uh, you know, the AI, but I mean, like, you know, that seems like a winner take all thing. Like whoever figures that out, they, uh, they run with it. But I mean, um, this would actually be like at least a solid, you can see the income coming on your books. I guess there's contracts out with the government to, to develop that. So I guess there's income on the books with that as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll have to see, but you know, I'm just, I really don't want to see this kind of putting NVIDIA in a position where <clears throat> like Bitmain can kind of move in uh, a little easier in terms of like the, the competitive edge there when, uh, you know, NVIDIA is sitting with a decent loss on the books, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, there goes more mining, man. Mm -hmm. And so I guess uh, in other news, uh, BitPico is back in the headlines. And <laughs> as, much, as much as I would love to see something actually come out of this, um, sure everybody remembers BitPico uh, made a, a big public show out of DDoSing the uh, Lightning Network. And uh, pretty much what they were doing was spamming the, uh, the nodes on the network with uh, a large volume of transactions to kind of uh, do a denial of service attack on the amount of files that a node would have to have open and kind of overload them. But uh, you know, that pretty much came down to being a slight annoyance and just uh, required instituting a, a spam limit in terms of the value of a transaction. But, you know, it's, it's, they just have this fucking silly ass, like, video with a bunch of techno music banging, just showing TCP connections being opened with Vcash uh, nodes and a uh, attack payload. <laughs> replies down there are pretty funny too but yeah it's uh you know they got the space over there on bcash so why not mm -hmm. but it's like you know i <laughs> i can't really look at this and see anything but like like are you guys fucking retarded like they're, they're pretty much claiming uh, that they're going to attack the nodes on the Bcash network and try to fork the network into multiple chains. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think that's in the roadmap. I, I don't think that's What's happening. Uh, BitPico, it's this, this group that claims to be like huge Bitcoin whales. Uh, previously, they claimed that they were going to push forward with the um, the 2x fork even after all the supporters dropped agreement. Nothing happened. They are anonymous. 
Mm-hmm. Then they claimed that they were going to crash the Lightning Network. But, you know, like I said, that was really just a slight annoyance that was kind of easily fixed and didn't really affect anything. And now they're claiming they're going to bring Bitcoin Cash down. Like, it's like, like I said, as much as I would love to see that network just get fucking eviscerated, like this, this is a fucking joke. I mean, like anything that would actually split the network into like multiple forks, like you need hash rate for. <laughs> and I've seen like no indication whatsoever that these guys have any hash rate. Like they're just <clears throat> talking about spinning up Sybil nodes pretty much. And like, as far as that goes, I mean, the minute they start misbehaving in terms of violating like the peer-to-peer network policy or trying to feed any data structures in violation of consensus, they're just going to get banned. So I mean, well, like, you don't really need you don't really need hash rate for that. You can attack nodes and make the network uh, into two. It's it's not impossible. Huh? I mean, I don't know how many Bitcoin BCH nodes there are, but I think it's possible. Yeah, absolutely, it's possible. There's always uh, things out there that you know. Uh, certain ways to get certain things done and it just you know it's hard to review every single part of the code and there's always lagging ends and I'm sure that you know probably even in Bitcoin there's one or two things that everyone's missed and like yeah if you come up with just the right thing you may be able to start pucking nodes off the network just don't expect on Bitcoin proper like the real Bitcoin that you're actually gonna knock all the nodes off before everyone notices because that's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, yeah, so maybe it's gonna have no effect though. I mean, like, like this, like pretty much, like if the if you're right, no par, it's nothing but just a, a DDoS attack. And I mean, in the long term, that well, what's that gonna do? It's going to knock some sub or subsection of the the network offline. They're going to take whatever preventative measures they have to, and then the network will converge again. I mean, if miners actually start getting DDoS, they're not going to sit on their hands and just like do nothing. That 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 tweet happened two days ago. If it had any any effect, then it should already have results for now. So, did you look into that? I I believe yeah. you don't. I, I haven't seen anything actually come of this. And I mean, you know, if aside from like a DDoS attack, like all I can really think of they could do is try to craft an attack block that would have like a, an exponential increase in the time to verify it. But then like you need hash rate to actually do that. And I mean, if you just try to spam the transactions out there to create that, like miners are not going to just blindly mine that like they would just slowly burn through those and not actually put them all in a single block so i mean like this like i i mean this is it's a joke like this it while it would be funny to see happen like it, anything i can think of they could be doing it's not going to have any kind of permanent effect on the network it would just be a slight annoyance and then like they would address the issue and move on Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I can't imagine it being a permanent uh, effect, but I, I, you know, I can't imagine it upsetting their network and them being caught off guard and it, and something actually creating a fork or a split. But, you know, like the, the usage isn't there and they would likely roll back or claim some kind of uh, some kind of shenanigans and they'd be like, it's fine. You know, so, yeah, I don't think that we'd see like that permanent kind of like, oh, my God, it's, you know. 
they, they would downplay it and say everything's great and it, nothing happened. But I mean, you wouldn't even need to roll back. I mean, if there's a network partition, you just deal with whatever's causing the partition and then the greatest chain like wins out. I mean, it's like this, there's, this is not actually going to break the network. It would just disrupt it for a short amount of time. Yeah, if it was an economically viable chain and it actually had some momentum behind it and it broke and then momentum got applied, absolutely it could, but it just doesn't have that magnetic attraction quality that like plain old Bitcoin does. I mean, it's just like, you know, nobody, like, even if this happened with Bitcoin, like nobody is going to like checkpoint and refuse like to like follow the longest chain. Like there would be a network partition like the chains would move forward and then whichever one was the greatest chain when the partition was resolved it would coalesce back to that chain and i mean it's like i really like these guys like i don't know who the fuck they are but it's like a joke it's like they just consistently pop up and make these outrageous claims about how they're going to wildly disrupt things and then it just always turns into a dud and well, I, mean, I, mean, I, I look at it like this like Bcash, you have more of a chance of it going full autonomous and autopilot and just running away and like shit actually getting committed to that chain permanently. And Bitcoin, like that chance of it going full on autopilot and someone missing something is like very unlikely. Like it doesn't happen. Like I don't know of a specific time where any any individual thing has been missed. Like guys, guys, I, I, I've been. I've been following the, uh, I've been trying to figure out if there are any results and it looks like there, there is nothing, but, but I, I read it. Oh my God, what, what I found. BitPico, an important Bitcoin core developer has decided to launch an attack <laughs> to the Bitcoin <laughs> cash. <laughs> it's bit, bitcoinexchangeguide.com. <laughs> what the heck? That's really funny. Yeah, it's like a joke. Like this, this is gonna have zero effect. I mean, it's like DDoSs have happened before. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> really seeing Bitcoin core development. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I don't know. I just took a quick glance through fork.lol, and you know, I'm not really seeing anything where it's like, oh, this is this is happening, and you know, it's causing some real effects to the network. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like this, and um. Like you were saying, you know, they tried this uh, with the Lightning Network, and uh, from this next story, we could see just how effective these things really are, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's, I, I'm calling joke, and like nothing is going to come of this. I mean, this really, it, this is, well, I don't know what the hell their game is, but this is just like a group of people that just keeps crying for attention with these outrageous claims, and nothing ever happens. And they have really bad taste in music too. Like that techno track on that video clip is just fucking cringe. Oh man, the wrong music. Mm -hmm. But I guess sliding along, uh, just a quick little update on uh, Lightning Network. I thought this was a, a nice graphic. Um, it's pretty much kind of an analysis of the uh, routing paths and how. Uh, how much liquidity has been available with uh, this orange line from uh, February and uh, this green one from this month. 
that um, you're, this first one here, you're kind of looking at the uh, number of potential routes between random nodes on the network based on the amount you're trying to send. So you can see like down around the Satoshi limit, there's like hundreds of thousands of routes uh, effectively. Uh, it kind of actually jumped up uh, from February to a little, I think it looks like around 80,000 routes. There's now around a million uh, routes for the value of Satoshi between any random um, node. And then you can kind of see like as the amounts go up, the uh, number of routes start dropping off. <clears throat> and you can see back in uh, February, there was literally uh, only around like one route, uh, not even up to 0.1 Bitcoin, but um, kind of close to it uh, between like random different nodes. And then, uh, you know, we can see kind of in June, there's close to a uh, hundred potential routes between random nodes for that amount of value. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of slow and steady uh, still being in beta, but the amount of liquidity, you know, it's, it's I would call this a pretty drastic improvement in the amount of like viable paths for larger amounts. And then we can also see down um, with this one, <clears throat> the uh, probability of a, a payment. Uh, here's the amounts again on the top actually succeeding. And, you know, it was kind of close to a uh, zero almost um, percent uh, chance of a uh, Probability. And I, I, I don't know why this is using a comma. I think this is like a European notation. But uh, for around a 0.1 payment, <clears throat> it's around 0.01% um, probability of success. But if you really kind of break this down, I mean, 0 0.01 is around, I think, what would that be now? Um, 600, be about $60 has around a 1% probability of success uh, versus, you know, less than a percent back in February. And again, though, it's, you know, this is all still in beta and most people, at least rational people, aren't really throwing up huge amounts of liquidity, but, you know, we can still see like improvement here. And, you know, the more liquidity comes online, you know, the closer things get to moving out of beta, I think people will be a lot more comfortable as far as sinking money into things. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how the improvements go. But, uh, you know, I, I would definitely call this a march towards success and not really just kind of stalling and going nowhere. Yeah, I don't see that happening anytime soon with, uh, with the Lightning Network. I think we'll just, uh, yeah, continue seeing uh, what it does. Uh, say there, incremental progress. Yeah, that's about right. And, you know, I expect, you know, once we get out of beta, I wouldn't be surprised to see a huge jump in these charts in terms of routing uh, success probability and the amount of liquidity. It's just, you know, right now, there's not really too many people aside from developers actually running nodes. And, you know, I, I don't think I've actually put more than like $100 into a single channel from what I've used. And I tend to not really keep my channels open for too long. I just kind of like do what I'm going to do and then I close them out. But, you know, I think, you know, once once we get out of that beta phase, a lot more people will be willing to kind of sink that money into it. And I think the bar of running a node will kind of drop drastically to the point where you won't see pretty much just developers and more technically competent people tinkering with things, you know, like your average person will be able to just kind of set their note up and put some money in it. Yeah. It's a, 
lots of uh, different opportunity there. I think we were talking to somebody in the mumble the other day about, uh, you know, setting up nodes as a service and all that. It's, uh, it'll eventually get easier though. I mean, like we've seen the bit seed and, you know, like uh, the Raspberry Pi, you know, everybody was setting up that way, but yeah, eventually it'll be a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And then uh, some other, uh, some news, some updates on the uh, Constitutional Congress. Uh, yeah. Oh, so uh, <laughs> 27 more accounts have been frozen on the EOS blockchain. And uh, the funny part is um, no reason was given. <laughs> and uh, I think it, it turned out that uh, the previous accounts, and I'm betting that this is uh, a similar reason that were frozen, are involved in uh, a lot of these uh, Twitter uh, scam giveaways. But, you know, for anybody out there kind of looking at this and thinking, okay, they're just freezing scammers uh, accounts. Well, I mean, that's a huge fucking problem on multiple levels. I mean, first off, like, let's let's play this through and just say that the, uh, you know, the people running EOS and the block producers are only going to block uh, scammers accounts. Okay. What happens if you fuck up and you don't really see any involvement in this until that money's already moved? How do you know that it's still in the scammer's hands? I mean, what happens when the day comes that that's cycled through the economy, you know, like somebody has received it for something else, and somebody with no involvement in whatever scam is causing things to be frozen has their money seized when, when they've had absolutely no involvement in a scam? What's their recourse? Like, how, how are you going to anonymously prove on the internet that you had no involvement in whatever activity led to the, the block producers and the people operating this network to freeze the account? Like, what's the process? What's the bar to proof? I mean, <clears throat> let's take it another step further. Let's imagine that EOS actually does blow up and become widely used. Well, what, there's, there's 21 block producers? I, I can't imagine there's more then maybe a few hundred people actually closely involved in monitoring these kinds of things. How are you going to deal with this at scale? Like how, how are these 21 people and whoever's like following this process going to start parsing through thousands and thousands of accusations of things like this? What's the, I mean, like what's the process? How are they going to be able to handle that kind of load of actually reviewing what's considered malicious or illegal activity before they decide to freeze things? Are they just going to freeze it first? I mean, what's to stop me from just taking your EOS account and throwing it up on Twitter, eh, making you look like a scammer? How are they going to address that? L let alone fungibility on the network. I mean, the, the minute they establish this process, they have pretty much thrown any chance of having any kind of fungibility for tokens on this network out the window. I mean, like this road, this direction that they've chosen to go in brings up a mountain of problems as far as social scalability of this. That like, how are you going to solve this? Shinobi, you, you just don't understand the magic of governance. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, like, think about the financial system nowadays. Like how many thousands and thousands of instances of fraud are happening right this second 
how many people are employed full time by financial institutions to deal with these kinds of things? Like, how are you going to establish a system to scale that kind of like incident response and actually go through with some rational bar of proof or like a, a rational bar of proof that you are not involved in something with just 21 random people on the internet? Like, how are you going to do that? I don't know, man. Looking at this story, it really just kind of, I don't know. It's like a EOS. I think they're trying to be like an Ethereum duplicate, something similar to Ethereum. But I mean, like, it just like all kind of reeks of like the formation of Ethereum and like the DAO hack and just like, you know, something where it just sort of just is evident that this is not a decentralized system and that there's all sorts of problems along the way as far as like the creation of it and everything as far as what you're dealing with. And I don't know, I guess the roadmap can, you know, is just like Ethereum as far as just to take your funds and start greasing the right hands and see if you can get in the right position before somebody important loses their funds. I, I don't know. I mean, like the whole thing is like you're saying, I mean, it's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, it's like uh, showing all these problems. So to me, it, it just like, it, it kind of reeks of the problems we've had with the system. And, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know, going forward, it looks like I don't know. They're in trouble. I don't know why people would use it. It's like anything that they're trying to uh, represent what they're doing. It's a gross misrepresentation. I actually think in the marketing material, they weren't using the phrase Ethereum duplicate. They were using the phrase Ethereum killer. They want to. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> kill, kill, kill and replace. Yeah, Neo was the duplicate or something. I don't know. It's too many of these damn Ethereum wannabes. And it's just like, we're. I don't know. It's just like, like I'm saying, it's kind of a glaring, you know, reproduction of the problems. But I mean, like, you know, seriously, like really think about this. Like, you know, we're, we're just a, a few people that do like a news show on YouTube. And when the news really gets going, I mean, think about how often we have to scramble to like keep track of different things happening in this space. I mean, like earlier, you know, Nopar, you asked us like if uh, <clears throat> Mt. Gox had distributed any funds to people and we don't know. Like, the, you know what I mean? There's a lot of things for us to keep track of. And this is just us like literally trying to find information and break it down for viewers to, to save them time and work and actually parsing through this information. And we can't keep track of everything. Like there's things we don't know. There's like a lot of time we have to put into to just keeping up with like what's going on for like the important things we're aware of. And it's, that's just doing the news. Like imagine 21 people sitting down and trying to parse through like whether or not some financial transaction is involved in an illegal activity, whether it's scamming somebody. I mean, like I just said, I go make a Twitter account I grab some random person's EOS address and start trying to scam people with their address. How the fuck do you prove you had no involvement in that? Like, how, how are these people going to analyze that situation and in any way whatsoever even come close to figuring out what actually happened? Well, it's they impossible. got this thing like in Minority Report where they put the three people in the bath and they connect the things to their heads and stuff. Like, they probably just... You know, we'll get the EOS node people together and we'll put them in one of those things. That'll work, right? <laughs> but I mean, like, it's like, like, seriously, what drugs 
are these people doing to think that is even a remote possibility? It, it's like they have no comprehension of how like information works abstractly, like how you can verify something, how you can actually like scale that verifiability out socially. I mean, like, <laughs> I guess they think it's such a small ecosystem that they can manage it right now. But that's yeah, that's just a speculative guess. But what about the future? <laughs> I mean, yeah, if it yeah. actually does succeed. I don't know. I'm sure they don't know either. Uh, I mean, I think some of this has to do with people not being honest enough with themselves and their own personal limitations. And I feel like a lot of people in this space haven't done stuff as simple as going, okay, like maybe I don't know exactly what money is and maybe I should research and look this up again. You know, maybe I don't know exactly what value is and, and how the rest of the world looks at value. Maybe I should look at this again. There's just too much of an ego to allow the person to actually like figure it out for themselves. So instead they go and they speak blindly with the big chest and they ignore looking at the facts because if you look at the facts, you can't puff your chest out with confidence and say those idiotic things. I think that's why they say the best scammers are the ones that scam themselves. Yeah. If you know so much about how money works, why don't you make your own? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like this. Like this is gonna be really fun to watch <laughs> from my perspective. It's 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 gonna be a fucking shit show. Well, it's gonna last a lot longer than I expect. I mean, like the whole Ethereum thing. It's like you know, we figured I figured that thing would be over by now. It's like I don't know how long it's gonna drag out, but it might be a long show. I'm actually excited that it's gonna fail under its own technical weight like all by itself, like those big buildings that you see get bigger and bigger and like kind of some of those shitty countries where you're like, that's not going to work. And you just see them continue to build it. And you're like, well, this is going to be fun. You know, it's we'll like, see one of this those... thing blow up one day. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, boy. I guess so. Uh, last serious story uh apparently there has been some uh resolution to the uh <clears throat> financial service agency uh in japan's investigation into exchanges in the wake of the uh uh brain fart coin check act huh yes coin check um uh pretty much they have uh picked out six different exchanges uh bitflyer uh Quion, btc box bitbank uh tech bureau and bitpoint and are requiring them to uh <clears throat> pretty much enhance their internal auditing and user protection systems and at least uh bitflyer has announced that they're temporarily going to be stopping uh the registration of new customers to kind of re-examine um, the IDs of certain customers. So I'm imagining based on that, <clears throat> the FSA uh, probably found something that they consider suspicious activity in their accounts. And Bitflyer is going to be kind of digging through this and then rethinking their uh, entire process as far as registering and verifying customers that are uh, kind of allowed you know, whatever the FSA is considering suspicious activity to occur on the platform in the first place. But um, <clears throat> they pretty much um, 
have to give a report by July 23rd on the progresses or the progress of like the uh, kind of overhauling of their system. And I think uh, it says here um, every 10th of the month uh, going forward until things are concluded and the FSA thinks everything's up to snuff, they're going to have to keep doing regular reports to them to kind of keep them up to date with the progress on things. But, you know, it's, <clears throat> I don't know, it's, they, they have a pretty tightly integrated uh, regulatory framework over there. And it seems like, you know, businesses are, you know, at least very on top of, complying with proactive uh, statements from the FSA, but I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see how this pans out as far as the end user experience and what users are going to have to comply with. But, you know, it's, we can actually kind of call this quits and see what's happened with this instead of kind of wondering what actions are going to come. Uh, you know, I guess six exchanges weren't up to snuff and they got to get on that. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, like if we're saying the coin check hack, five hundred and thirty million and you know, they uh they use this uh as a standard currency there through uh Japan and yeah, we're seeing the Mt. Gox uh case move over. Lots of uh yeah, this is the year of like regulatory framework coming into being and people sort of uh stepping in frame in line. So yeah, I guess it's a good thing to go ahead and see, uh I guess you know, which exchanges are going to follow that. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, I, I guess that they pick those out. I mean, it's not like they just are choosing to follow it. Yeah. Like you're saying, I mean, the regulatory framework there in Japan is pretty solid, I guess, you know, they're just, uh, shoring it up. Mm -hmm. I guess last, uh, little note, um, before we move on to final thoughts is, um, like really everybody watching who, like where's Bitcoin swag or kind of goes out in public kind of advertising <clears throat> their involvement in this space. Like, please stop and rethink that. Like th there is a, uh, a, a whole, uh, pretty much a, uh, a pregnant wife and her husband had four men in Austria storm into their apartment and tie them up and pretty much, uh, keep them held hostage until they gained access to around a quarter million dollars of cryptocurrency that the man was in possession of. And I mean, you know, like I, I love being in this space myself. I love like everything that's happening here, the potential for this to actually you know, bring about some serious good change in the world. But like, we're still a very, very tiny minority as far as the global population. And given the nature of how all of these things work in terms of being a digital bearer instrument, like you have no recourse. Like if, if somebody decides that they're going to fucking, you know, come into your house and put a gun to your head, you have a decision to make in that instance. And whatever you decide, you're gonna, like that. That's it. If you refuse to give it up and you wind up getting killed, there's no taking that back. If you end up giving that person access to your assets, there's no getting those back. Like, like, please, everybody watching, like, seriously, like, sit down and rethink how public you are with your involvement in this space and your possession of these assets. Because, like, th this is becoming a regular thing at this point. This isn't just a fucking 
a scare tactic. This isn't a, a one-off thing. Like this is regularly happening now that people are being kidnapped. People are being threatened with, with being killed to get access to their assets. Like don't publicly advertise it. Don't be the asshole driving around with the fucking sports car that has Bitcoin decals over it. Don't go walking around with fucking Bitcoin shit plastered all over your shirt and on your backpack. Like keep it low key because like this, this is serious. Like this is a very real potential threat to your life. If the wrong person sees that and decides they're going to be a stupid fuck and just try to steal what you have. So like, please everybody like seriously step back and rethink like how you're interacting publicly with your involvement in this space. Like this, this isn't a joke. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean like you can, if you have like t-shirts or caps or whatever, that doesn't mean you can't wear them. It just means like, I mean, my policy is if I end up wearing anything related to Bitcoin, I, uh, I don't wear it like if I'm if I'm going to a specific location publicly, then I'm not going to wear it out in public. I'm going to wait until I get to the location where the meetup or the conference or whatever is. Um, I don't I don't just walk through the streets with it because one, I just don't want to draw that kind of attention in general because like people will just it, I, like I haven't experienced it, but people will just like look at you um when you when you're walking around with bitcoin stuff um but also in, in case any of those people you know get that idea in their heads that they're they it would be worthwhile for them to like come after you that's not something i would want to happen either so my policy is to be just very selective about where you actually show your memorabilia yeah i would say be heavily aware of your surroundings. Uh, I've worn Bitcoin stuff for the past five years pretty regularly, so I know a lot about this, uh, just in the tri-state area where I'm at. You get kind of outside of certain areas, all of a sudden you'll notice the eyes on you. So, I mean, I've only had two or three of those scenarios. So, I mean, for the most part, people don't really kind of notice. It's just kind of a normal thing doesn't really look that weird but uh I remember one time in atlantic city i i remember looking back and i i i look up and there's like 15 people looking at me and it was kind of awkward so you get some of those scenarios where all of a sudden your heart kind of skips a beat so i mean just be aware of where you are and i don't think you'll have any problems like i didn't really realize bitcoin was that kind of popular yet at that point so i mean i guess that's where the issue came in and uh after that point, I started kind of just paying attention to where I was when I was wearing those shirts. But uh, yeah, I, I've never had an issue. I've never even had so much as someone come up and talk to me about any of my Bitcoin shirts. So, mm -hmm. Or do something like wear something low key, like, you know, Rick's Dragon's Den hat, like the Bitcoin logo is pretty small there. Like unless somebody's really looking at that, they're just going to see some tribal dragon thing. You know, like my user activated soft fork hat, like most people... I, I don't think I've ever had anybody not already in this space think that that was anything but an Air Force hat. Like things like don't trust, verify. Like, you know, things that like if you're not already aware of this space, like somebody's not going to see it and immediately think cryptocurrency. Like just, you know, think through like how you're exposing yourself in the public. Yeah, I just, yeah, like uh, I think yeah great advice from everybody just like yeah be very selective like even though this is very 
small. I do that too, as far as just like I put it in a backpack and then when I get to the meetup, I put it on. And then when I walk out of the meetup, I put it back in the backpack. And, uh, you know, just mainly because, yeah, I just don't want to stir up some conversation or something where like, you know, cause you never know who's going to see you in the public and what they're going to think. And, you know, that's where it's just like, you know, it's good advice just to sort of keep that as low key as possible until you really absolutely want to wear it or, uh, you know, definitely be aware of your surroundings at all points in time. And just, uh, also just, uh, you know, I don't know, be in general, like in generally be in good shape and ready to take care of something. If it, uh, if, if something does show up, I mean, just, uh, lots of little things you could do to sort of prepare for something like that. But I mean, like the best thing to do is just to avoid that sort of a uh, conflict by, you know, trying to stay out of public as much as possible. And, you know, it's one of the things that I weigh, you know, it's like, uh, it's like unfortunate. It's like one of these stories pops up. I always sort of think about the meetup and, you know, here on the show and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, are you too public and, you know, too much of uh, throwing around who you are, but I think, uh, you know, particular situation here is like a good location, but still it's something I think about as far as like, is it a risk? Is it not a risk? It's something you should always gauge as far as like uh, whether or not you're at risk and uh, don't just always think you're safe for sure. I forget who mentioned it, but um, so someone mentioned the other day. Yeah. The, the risk from just getting beat up by people in the streets. Yeah, that's something. But I, I notice a lot of people aren't worried about that. They're more worried about the cops and going to the airport and international travel. Those are the things that scare yeah. the shit out of me. I think I'm, there's not an area near me that uh, I'm afraid to walk in with a Bitcoin shirt. It's just, I have no issues. Like, and I never have gotten any strange looks. So, I mean, even in some pretty rough neighborhoods, not an issue. Where where I kind of limit, draw that line is areas I'm not familiar with, international travel, airports, stuff like that. I mean, that that those are the big ones. Eventually, though, you would, I don't know, I think eventually you should worry about even just walking around with something on where it says, like, you know, your involvement. I mean, like, uh, I don't know, that's just what I think, like, eventually that could be just like, yeah, somebody sees it, they're like, oh, that guy's into crypto, let's get some. But that's probably a far flung thing not that far from but at least in the future some mm -hmm. yeah sorry no part you want to go ahead i just like to live dangerous <laughs> <laughs> i too like to live dangerous born to be wild. <laughs> there you go <laughs> all right all right you guys want to wrap it up and slide along into final thoughts uh sure man i'm gonna go Actually quick I'm just going to say, you know, final thought. It's the weekend. Have a great weekend, guys. All right, Janine, incoming screen share. Go. Just really quickly, I think uh, in the case of Bitcoin, wouldn't it be Bill to be Whittle? What? <laughs> I was about to say the thing, same thing. What? Bill to be Whittle instead I... of Wild. <laughs> Oh, we were oh, <laughs> oh, come on. So <laughs> too smart. Okay. <laughs> that plot, um, so like, huge just weight. Huge weight. Yeah, sorry for my response time is a bit off because 
you are you all are a bit delayed for me. So mm-hmm. if I talk over anyone, it's not on purpose. Sorry. Um, so my so thought th- is just this. Uh, it's it's uh, apparently there was a reference to Bitcoin in the U.S. in a recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling uh, where U.S. Supreme Court Justice Breyer said that um, he was talking about how we, we view how we view money has changed over time. Shells used to be the medium. Now they're no longer that gold coins and bullion used to be money. And now gold is no longer that great of a medium of exchange. And then he says, perhaps one day employees will be paid in Bitcoin or some other type of cryptocurrency. And I mean, some people are like excited by this, but I just thought it was hilarious because he says it in a way that like, oh, someday in the future, people will be paid with Bitcoin. And it's like, uh, well, there's there's some people who have been doing that for several years now. They've been getting paid in Bitcoin. So I guess we're already in the future <laughs> and he is not aware of it. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty neat. The future is here, just not evenly distributed. But uh, okay, so <clears throat> my final thought is I have been biting my tongue about a certain group of people for a while now, and uh, I'm done with that. So I'm sure everybody has seen this, uh, this block hash uh, <laughs> that after the zeros uh, required by the difficulty is 21E8. Um, I'm just going to say this outright. DeSantis and Wilcox and all of the other people out there involved in the fucking trolley shenanigans that they're pushing out there are fucking complete lunatics. This is a random hash value that was randomly found by a Bitcoin miner because that's what they do. And in fact, this fucking specific prefix has a, I think, a, a chance of being found once every eight years. And lo and behold, Bitcoin has been around longer than eight years. Statistically, hey, it like it happened. What probability dictates probably will happen, happened. That's the end of it. And they're out there pushing these insane, deranged lunatics about quantum computers intentionally crafting this hash, Satoshi being a time-traveling artificial intelligence, like, this is fucking gibberish. Like these people are fucking lunatics. They are pulling the exact same kind of shit that a confidence man does. If you've ever seen any of those TV shows where psychics will sit there and just ask very vague questions until you jump up with an answer and then they seize on it and pretend that that's what they were talking about. Like it's the same kind of con man strategy and it's delusional. Like we've seen DeSantis act like the address format changing in some way damages Bitcoin network effect as if it's some kind of consensus layer rule. It's an application layer thing. Strictly speaking, there is no such thing in the core protocol as a Bitcoin address. That is data put together in a specific format on an application level, the wallet, so that users can deal with something. Bitcoin is locked to a script, to a computer program which can do a lot more complex things than just have a public key require the matching private key. So wait, they're essentially like cheering along and like, you know, just just emphatic about like a wheel completing its first revolution. Like I don't like this. This is ridiculous. So this happens every eight years. So this is 
going to be something that repeats and uh, uh, the, what is going on here? I don't even understand this. They're, they're fucking complete lunatics trying to play Oracle by making ridiculously vague statements until people plug in completely outrageous nonsense. And then they seize on that and go, yes, that's what I mean. Like, no, like, you know, I, it's like th these people aren't stupid. Like DeSantis is not an idiot. He is not an unintelligent person. Neither is Mark Wilcox, but the kind of bullshit that they're putting out there publicly in terms of grabbing attention and making a big show of things, like they're speaking gibberish. And quite frankly, they're acting like a bunch of drugged out lunatics. And people need to stop paying attention to this nonsense because it's, it's fucking nonsense. That's what it is. Like there is no profound meaning here. There is no deep understanding of anything that people are lacking. It's just fucking con man bullshit. And like, I'm, I'm done with humoring it and I'm done like playing nice with it. Like this, these Ouch. people spew bullshit and you know what you should do with bullshit? You should ignore it. You should stop giving it attention because what it's going to do is it's going to find its way in front of the eyes of uneducated people, of people unaware of how these things work. And it's going to lead them down a giant rabbit hole of completely misunderstanding this technology and how it works and what it's doing. Like stop humoring the bullshit. So that's my final thought. And now I will load Janine's next one. Yeah, just real quick on that. I was going to say, yeah, I got lost in a couple of DeSantis rabbit holes that you kind of get stuck down in. So watch out. I, I've i never gotten lost in any of DeSantis's rabbit holes because basically from the very beginning when I even read a tweet from him, I was like, something is wrong with this guy. So <laughs> yeah, that's where I was saying I got stuck in any holes. Yeah, I got stuck in tweet rabbit holes. Um. So I so sh sorry, Shinobi. I'm on audio only. So do you have the tweet up? Um, yeah, about Elizabeth so. Stark. Okay. Uh, so uh, this uh, this is taken from Satoshi's place, which is you know still up and running, perfectly fine with the Lightning Network. And uh, yesterday she gave um, she gave a talk at the Berlin uh, Lightning Hack Day. And someone actually took, there was a moment where she was saying, like, talking about Satoshi's place and saying, oh, people were putting my picture on it and a bunch of other obscenities. And so someone took a picture of her and then put that as she was saying that, and then they put it on Satoshi's place. So that was pretty hilarious. That's why there's another picture of her there. <laughs> That's microphone there. So it's like. So it's oh, like, man. Uh, <laughs> stop, do not, do not. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I got that way too late. Oh man. <laughs> Damn it. All, all right, right, all right. All right. Anybody uh got any more final thoughts? <laughs> yes. It's, sorry, I'm a bit delayed. It's like Lightning Network Inception. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you got any more, Janine? Or okay. Uh no par. Wanna let her shoot? Yes, yes. Actually, I want to hijack the digest for, for five minutes because I just checked and I only have two days, uh, two, two more episodes left. Uh, and yeah, yeah basically, uh, some, some people, some of you might wondering that what the heck this guy is doing on the, on the digest and, and, and who am I? 
uh, I'm Nopara and I'm working on Bitcoin privacy. And I came to the digest to practice uh, for breaking Bitcoin, building Bitcoin conference because I am going to give a talk there and I am going to announce something which I, spoiler, spoiler alert, I, I want to show you guys what we have been working on and what we want to announce. So I think it's, it's, it's very positive. And, and I think from, from very soon, we can use Bitcoin anonymously. So I, I, I just want to show the software and, and ask you guys, how does it look? And I want to show the final slide of my presentation and, and ask about that too. How, how is, it, is it okay or good enough? Just want to have some feedback. Is that, is that fine with you guys? Yeah, go ahead. That's awesome. Okay, I showed my, I shared my uh, screen. Can can you, can you see? Yep. Great. Um, let's start the software. Uh, we want to announce this wallet, which we created, and. This is how it looks like uh, so far. Any thoughts? Yeah, it's nice and simple. Yeah, real clean. We, we cannot load because we didn't implement that yet, but it's coming. Hopefully, we are going to finish it by the by the conference, and and that will be good. And now, the Wow, my my mouse stopping working. Okay, got it's it. It's because Windows Windows sucks. <laughs> it's Windows. So, what do you think about this? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I dig All it. Right. I want you to join your coin with mine. I like that. <laughs> feel feel free to share your things in the chat too. I will read it later uh yeah i i mean anonymous bitcoin is coming 100 anonymity set no cryptocurrency is doing that it's i think it's awesome mm -hmm. oh, yeah. and we're, we're gonna count on everybody watching to jump in and start using this and helping us show it because <laughs> you, you need people using it to stay anonymous so be prepared to hear me rant about this quite a lot, guys. <laughs> Incoming wasabi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good shit, Nofar. Glad to see there's uh, we're almost to the fucking finish gates, man. I've been fucking psyched about this since you first started talking to me about it. Like, uh, what was it, like almost a year ago? I mean, for the last three years was leading up to this moment for me, so it's it's very important. And now we are working like, uh, oh my God, like 16 hours or something like that a day. It's, it's so crazy, but enjoyable. Almost at that finish line. Yeah, man, I'm fucking yeah. waiting to see the presentation and the finished product, man. Fucking psyched. And just to say, dude, like, you know, I know you've got a lot of development work and you're going to probably dive a lot harder into that afterwards, but you are always welcome on the show, even after the presentation, man. 
All right. Oh, I, I had an idea too that uh, in the fourth, uh, so the third episode, next one after that, and after that on Wednesday, I could I could do the present. I could do the episode. I think from the building Bitcoin uh, meetup, and I don't know, just grab some people like, hey Adam, Adam back, come here for a moment, something like that. That would be funny. That'd be great, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'd yeah. be fucking fun as hell, dude. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, second that too. Just like yeah, and you've been great on the panel, man. It's been awesome. So yeah, anytime, man. Definitely. All right, thanks, thanks a lot. You helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Hey, you've helped us, man. It's it's been real nice to have a developer able to throw his two cents in on shit. Because <laughs> I'm just a armchair Python script kitty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I guess uh, that that wraps us up for the day. Uh, We'll be back on uh, Wednesday, and uh, hopefully I will get the uh, audio-only version out uh, within the hour. Uh, Sorry for last time, but uh, the provider we used glitched out and uh, didn't actually finish the upload when I thought it did, and I didn't notice until today. So sorry about that. I guess uh, toodaloo. Later, everyone. Bye-bye. To Bitcoin and beyond.